reach your destination. Welcome to Harmonic Headspace. Music for your psyche. Let's do this! Happy Sunday, all y'all. This is Prosty, and that is Astro. Astro right here. How you Good doing? Sunday evening, Prosty. Hope you had a nice weekend. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I finally was able to replace my computer so I can get back to making music. Nice. I had a freak out yesterday morning. <laughs> I, I came downstairs and uh, I went into the studio and the song that I've been working on for, I would say, I probably put 40 hours into it so far. Yeah, you've been telling me about the song. Yeah. And uh, the file was corrupt. No, I'm sorry. The folder was corrupt. And my computer is, you know, like, it was like eight years old. And it was kind of going slow, slower and slower. And I went down and I freaked out. And I came upstairs and I freaked out to my poor wife. And uh, I think I scared her. And she was like, just go get another computer. (laughs) And then she ran away. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then I went and I bought another computer. And I'm so happy that I did, and I feel like I can get back back into world domination. Exactly. Yeah. How about you? How was your weekend? It was nice. Yeah. Uh, drove down to Connecticut, visited family yesterday, had a good time. Told some of the people in my family uh, that didn't know about the show about it, so maybe they'll be tuning in today. We'll find out. There you go. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what did we do last week? We did a Pink Floyd deep dive. Oh my goodness. I learned so much about Pink Floyd last week. I thought I was an expert. I oh, was like, it's the early stuff. There's yeah. always there's a rabbit hole to go down there. Yeah, totally. It's funny because like you and I usually were like, all right, we'll do a deep dive. But if we do a deep dive, we need at least two people who feel like they can really speak to this right. band, right? So I didn't feel like that with Rush, and you brought in Keith, uh, Keith from Linfield and, and Timmy and Tim, and that was amazing. Um, but I was like, I know Floyd. Yeah. And, and I think we did a great show, but in the early years, I was totally learning a whole bunch. And the album before the album tonight that we will play is my new favorite. It's freaking awesome. It's incredible. It's we played amazing. three songs from it last week and we're playing a fourth tonight. It's like it's like a Pink Floyd album with uh, exactly like you want Pink Floyd to sound coming out now. Yeah, nobody's ever heard it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I don't know why you don't. we don't hear more of that. Because it was the album before the album. That's why. Yeah. All right, well, that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to play songs from the album before the album. So you, why don't you tell us what you think it's mostly about? Well, I know it's about it's two different things. Yeah. And uh, the first and the where I would give priority is a band who had an album which basically represented their showing up on the stage. Like people knew who they were because of this album. Mm-hmm. Meaning the album before that would be the album before the album. So artists like Pearl Jam, The Black Crows, Led Zeppelin, you would say, well, I shouldn't say Led Zeppelin. They had bigger albums besides Led Zeppelin 1. But like The Black Crows, their biggest album, commercial successful-wise, was their first album. Right. Um, I would argue their second and third albums were artistically far superior but in terms of them breaking on the scene it was their first album Mm -hmm. so there's nothing to play before that right uh the flip side of it is bands that sort of were known like they they may have had minor success and then they had an album 
down the road that was their big stamp Mm -hmm. like uh michael jackson's thriller Mm -hmm. obviously people knew who he was he had some pretty big hits with his brothers than jackson five he had a couple hits on as a solo artist but when thriller came out it was completely different game Mm -hmm. um same with prince and purple rain you know like yeah he, he obviously had at least a half a dozen pretty big hits but when you talk to anybody and say name a print song i'd say more than nine times out of ten if that's even possible they're going to say purple rain Mm -hmm. right so that's you know there's two things there's the an album that comes out and nobody knew who the band was sort of like nirvana's nevermind yes nobody knew who they were they came out with nevermind and they blew up it also happened to be the album everybody would say if you said name a nirvana album yep so that one satisfies both right um, but you know, there's distinctions, right? Totally. And there's also little, uh, rabbit holes you can go down like, um, Pearl Jam. Well, so, uh, when I posted this on one of my Facebook groups, um, someone was like, Oh, you should, you should learn yourself about mother love bone. I'm like, whatever motherfucker. I know who they are. Yeah. And, and also <laughs> I, I was thinking about this. I was, I was going to push back hard if you wanted to play mother love bone, because you know, yeah. it, it, you can argue that this was pre Pearl jam, but I would argue that they're not good enough because you well, can they're say not, they're not Pearl jam. Well, they're not Pearl jam. And also they're not good enough because the argument could be made that they had that one album and their singer died before it was able to go out and become mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. And the counterpoint to that is sublime, right? Same type of situation. Mm-hmm. They had an album which came out and the singer died, but it was huge. Yeah. So I would argue you hold up sublime to Apple and it, it's a different conversation right. entirely. Totally. So um, here's, we'll start off with a controversial one. Uh, because we both have different ideas about Prince. Yeah, and yours is a good idea, and mine's the right one. <laughs> of course. Uh, so what I believe is that um, Prince was thrown into the limelight when um, uh, 1999. 1999 was like almost as big of a hit as Purple Rain, and when Doves Cry, that was just like life-changing right when when prince came into the musical space i think that 1999 was it i agree that um i'm sorry that um yeah 1999 yeah yeah um i agree that purple rain was bigger but i believe myself that uh, i don't think that we're talking about what's the biggest album right I think it's the one that is the the tipping point. When do they, like, the opposite of jumping the shark, right? Well, I mean, (laughs) I guess the question for Prince is, if you remember back then, that was a long time ago, was Prince a household name after 1999 came out, or was he a household name after Purple Rain, the movie? Right. You know? No, I think he was after 1999, and I think the movie just threw him even further. Like, they just, he just kept hitting it. And that's why, I mean... And rightfully so, Prince is known as one of the greatest artists of all time. Right. So this is this is probably why, because he had two incredible huge hits. I mean, and, and, and you're just talking those two. He has had plenty of others oh, too. Totally, those right. are probably the two biggest. But right. He had right. plenty of others. Right. So I mean, if we were going down the path of saying Purple Rain was the album, the album before the album would be 1999, and we'd be mm-hmm. picking songs and i would probably say little red corvette yeah, because exactly that's a song but I, that also leads me to reinforcing my argument which is 
1999 is a two LP double album mm-hmm. and it has two songs that you would know off the top of your head 1999 and Little Red Corvette mm-hmm. um, is there pur- a Dove's Cry on that too? no oh, pur- Purple Rain okay. is a single LP it has mm-hmm. three songs that are as big if not bigger hits mm-hmm. uh, When Doves Cry Purple Rain and Let's Go Crazy on right. one LP yep the double LP of 1999 has two songs that you know. Right. No, I, I agree that Purple Rain is bigger um, and better. But I think we're just talking about when the break point is. When is jumping? What's the opposite of jumping the shark? <laughs> you know, yeah. Whatever that is. And in terms of this conversation, I'm, I'm willing to cede and give up and say, <laughs> let's go with a song from the album before 1999 yeah, because that album is also a great album. Yeah. And coincidentally, the title track is called Controversy. Controversy. 
trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. The line is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
Place 
That was Green Day. That was from Kurt Plunk. Awesome. That was so one of my favorite things about the album before the album is most of these were after we learned about the band, right? And then we're like, what there's more? And you go back and you learn about all the stuff that happened before. And if there is more, and it's like that, I mean that that's my favorite Green Day song of all time. And it came out before Dookie. When you can go back and like do that, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath because I was just like fucking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was funny to watch. No, I, I love doing that. Like it's, it's I, I call it uh, musical archaeology. Like not just like going back to find other stuff they've released, but also like who are their influences and like what are some mm. similar artists, what other you know collectives that they played in, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But going back and finding earlier stuff is always a godsend. Yeah, and if if they have good earlier stuff then man it's like the gift the gift that keeps on giving mm-hmm. you know and green day is a, a great example kerplunk is actually a really fun album to listen to it's not as polished as uh, dookie or any of their like uh, american idiot which is even more polished than dookie obviously but listen to the drums in kerplunk it, the the dr- the production of the drums is so um so different you know like uh, trey cool's the sound of him and Dookie, there's just so much more lower end on the bass. Same thing as you get into their older, their um, more recent stuff. But that was just like the snare was like. Well, I w- wow. what I always like about Green Day is uh, the bass sound of Mike Dirt. Like it's always that that angular, plucky sound mm-hmm. and it's consistent all yes. the way through the catalog. Yeah, he plays with a pick, right. and and they definitely produce it so you can hear it. Right, I absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's my favorite thing about the album before the album, because it means that you can go back and learn. So when you, you think that it's the, since it's the first thing you've ever heard, you think it might be the first, but it's not, there's way more. And just learning about it, whether you like it or don't, 
And if you like it, good. If you don't, you learn something. Well, I mean, that's how I always got into music starting as a kid. Like you hear a couple songs that you like on the radio and you're like, oh, okay. Every time I hear a talking head song, I like this. Mm-hmm. So let me see. Let me get an album. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get it and you're like, oh, so the three songs that I've heard on the radio are awesome. And so are these six others. <clears throat> let me see what other albums they have because, you know, maybe there's one or two singles off of that and another, you know, eight solid album tracks yeah. and it's just it's just finding all these gems yeah. I, I love that musical discovery mm-hmm. and you don't get as much of it these days mm-hmm. uh, as you're older as you've already dug a lot of trenches already right yeah but those emptying those trenches when you're young is fun man like yeah. you're finding a lot of cool shit that you just need to find on your own yeah and i i mean you still i i think it still happens now where oh it's it, it's a never-ending thing for me at mm-hmm. least i know for you it is as well but mm-hmm. it, it slows down a bit because you've you're you've sort of your net's covered a lot of shit already yeah you know what i'm saying like yeah. i'm personally stretching more into like uh hard bop jazz and like soul jazz and just I, I feel like I've, I've wrung a lot of sweat out of the rock yeah. mop, and there's not a lot left there. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, and moving in a different direction. Oh, cool! Who are you listening to? Like Art Blakey, and the Jazz Messengers, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started listening to Mahavishnu Orchestra, which is like a, a, a jazz rock fusion mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Hubbard. Like, there's a lot yeah. of really cool jazz artists. Obviously, like, the masters like Herbie Hancock and yeah. Wayne Shorter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Coltrane at all. Coltrane, Miles, yeah. all that base. You know, I don't say it's basic, but the stuff that people who don't listen to jazz know. Yeah, you know? yeah. Giant Steps by John Coltrane has been a staple in my. That's a good one. I love. Uh, uh, I love Supreme. Is really awesome too. Yeah, it's kind of slow. It is slow. Um, Giant Steps is fast. There's only one slightly slow song, and everything else is fast. Yeah. It's such a great driving song. I, I, mean, I don't driving I don't, album. I don't like jazz ballads that much, mm. but Coltrane does them really well. You yeah. know, he has a lot of good flavor and taste to mm. his solos. Yeah, I mean I like Coltrane's faster stuff like Giant Steps and uh like Miles Davis, kinda blue. It's also his biggest known album but, but it's, it's slow slow like you look that and yeah. put it up next to bitches brew and it's like holy shit right and you i know? like bitches brew more yeah, even though it's like their songs are like it's know, 15 crazy wild like weird yeah it's, yeah that's that's it but man. it's different it's, it's like different. miles found lsd you know <laughs> yes he did among some other things well i mean we, we've talked about this in the past when we had our our, our women in rock like early on in our shows when we had betty davis mm-hmm. and how uh you know she and miles hooked up and they got married and she had a huge influence on yeah. changing his style from like wearing like the 50s jazz suit to like the late 60s like crazy technicolor like flowing robes and just playing crazy shit with like electric guitarists and stuff like yep. Just completely different than the stuff he was doing in the 50s. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about uh, Prince Controversy. Let's. Um, <laughs> but before we do, let's let's give people opportunity to oh, join yeah, in here. Right. Yes, thank um, you. you know, just so everybody knows, we are broadcasting live here from the Wave Radio Boston uh, facility here. It's uh, sponsored and presented by the Westover Inn and the 1846 Tavern. Nice. And you can call us on the A Brews listener line at 617-829-9283. You can text us, but it's more boring. 617-764-9283. 9283 spells wave. Yeah. We try to make it easy for you. So it's 829 for the listener line and 6, no, 764 for the text line. 
Right. So, yeah, call us. Let us know because um, we, I think we have some, we're still discussing like some songs to go on the end. But if someone texts us or someone calls in, we'll play what you tell us to. Yeah. And if you want to call in, I mean, we can debate and, and take requests right, right live in the air. We can, we can do this for yes, you. Yes, absolutely. So <clears throat> we played Controversy because uh, we already had the discussion about which one is bigger, 19, or which one is the album, 1999. Right. Uh, so, but controversy, you listen to it, that's Prince. It's the same exact sound as you always heard Prince, but he just hadn't, hadn't reached the masses yet. But that, this is one where you go back and you're like, oh my God, there's more of the same exact thing. It right. didn't suck. It wasn't like a different sound, it, you know? His first album's a little wishy-washy, mm-hmm. but after that, uh, Dirty Mind, I think was the second one and controversy. Like those were mm-hmm. great funk albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, Grateful Dead, Cumberland Blues. Why is that on the album before the album? Thank you for asking. Uh, and I'm sitting here, I was scratching my head because uh, Prosty sits in front of the monitor. And uh, I, I, unless I write down the songs or have a great memory, and I don't have a great memory, um, sometimes I forget what we're playing. And I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, I know we play Controversy. I know we play the song from Kerplunk. I'm like, what was that second song? And you just told me Cumberland Blues. Uh, great question. big spliffer you smoked in the parking lot well well when I, when I was figuring out what song to play from working man's dead yeah it might have been and uh the reason it's working man's dead is uh you know for the dead you know their big album th- that broke them really uh more i don't want to say into the mainstream they never actually had a hit i think trucking was like you know a top 500 hit right. or something yeah uh, but it was American Beauty, and it came out in 1970. It was their second album that actually came out in 1970. The first one was Working Man's Dead, which, you know, for a deadhead is every bit as good as American Beauty, but mm-hmm. it was the album before the album. It was picking up momentum for them, moving in a different direction, doing more sort of song-based, you know, singer-songwriter-sounding, countrified music mm. whereas their three albums that came out before in the 60s were sort of crazy psychedelic sounding mm. stuff and they really sort of you know got their shit a little more lined up for shorter uh more melodic songs and you, you saw that with working man's dead and, and mm-hmm. it, you, it really drove home with american beauty so we selected from working man's dead cumberland blues which is uh you know a, a cool little tune uh bro steven says to me he's like how did you find a three minute grateful dead song yeah. <laughs> i'm like well you know it's a studio version you know i think i listened yeah. to an, uh, a live one on the way here and it was eight and a half minutes so yeah, yeah. so that's a grateful dead is a good i, I can't wait till we do a, a deep dive on that i can't wait either because we need to talk about why they didn't have more commercial success right i mean they there's nothing that should have prevented it well they marched to a beat of their own drummers yeah <laughs> but i mean yeah they had casey jones they had trucking yeah they didn't Pelican. they didn't have a big hit trucking was their biggest hit from 1970 until touch of gray came out in 1987 which was a legitimate hit for the band they yeah. had a, a successful mtv video against all odds yes and so uh, they hell in the bucket <laughs> Well, I said successful. That was Touch yeah. of Grey. What they got from that was uh, the balls to make a few more videos, and none of them really turned out that well. They did yeah. Hell in a Bucket. Yeah. They may have done one other from that album. They did a couple from their last studio album, Built to Last. Uh, Foolish Heart is a, a cool video. It's like a sort of an old school type mm-hmm. thing. I'm talking about shit that nobody's ever seen, probably including you, so I'll yeah. just stop right here. No, but, I've, I've seen uh, Touch of Grey and Hell in a Bucket. And, and, and uh, Yeah, so... The last album, I think they had a video for Just a Little Light and for, uh, like I said, uh, 
uh, foolish heart. Mm. But I mean, the, the music is amazing. And if you, you could put it up against many other artists of that genre of that day, you know, whether you're looking back, I mean, I don't want to say blind faith and, and cream because they're a little bit more rocky, but we still had some folk. I mean, uh, Joni Mitchell is like a, an acoustic version of the dead almost, you know, like that they had folky and jazzy and bluesy, um, people in the mainstream I just don't understand why more Grateful Dead songs didn't get like Shakedown Street. Are you kidding me? Why is that right. not a hit? Yeah, why why was looking at the same year, nineteen seventy eight, why was Miss You a huge hit for the Rolling Stones, but Shakedown Street wasn't a hit? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And there's so many Grateful Dead songs that I think could hold up against many hits and probably yeah. blow them away. I, I can't and I don't know why. I can't even be involved in that conversation because I am so warped and biased that yeah. I'd be like, Yeah, I mean I, but I we guess need to figure out why, though. I think like, really the why. answer is uh, mismanagement, which mm. is probably the answer to a lot of questions yeah. about why did the dead dot 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 or why didn't the dead dot dot dot. Right, yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. also, I don't. They didn't have a drive for commercial success. They wanted to be successful enough to be able to stay together as a band on the road mm. and provide for their families and their crew. Right. And that was their ethos for yeah. basically the entire time until I think maybe the late 80s, early 90s, where it was still the same ethos, but the costs of supporting such a gigantic organization that it grew into over time uh, between you know the merchandising arm, um, the, 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 the roadies, like all this, the crew that all needed to work. Mm -hmm. So if they didn't continually tour, they wouldn't have the the revenue and the income to support their entire organization. And you can see, like I told you how they came out with two studio albums in 1970. If you look at it and you get to the 80s, you know, they made albums consistently through the 60s as well, but you get to the 80s and they had an album come out in 1980, an album came out in 87, and an album came out in 89, and that was it. Right. They were touring the entire time. Yeah. Except when Jerry was in the hospital in a diabetic coma in the mm. mid-80s. Right. So that that's the answer i mean it's they were coming out with new songs too they just weren't putting them necessarily on albums right and the creativity was slowing as they were getting older too yeah yeah well i can't wait to do a, a grateful dead deep dive. yeah that was like a little fun. mini deep dive yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely all right so let's jump into some uh 80s slash early 90s and we'll start off with an awesome uh instrumental by def leppard
tripping it, uh. So I can check shit, not in a daily style, but once in every while, so I can pop check, pop check the files of my brain. Many a meaning expanded, one from the insane and the butcher, uh, the baker, what? the fabulous drama maker, a cracker on the truck, going break up, break up, listen to everyone. Uh -huh. Then just regard it, then we never check our back.
Hey, that was an 80s slash 90s three-pack there. <laughs> uh, that was Pigs and Zen by Jane's Addiction, and this was actually a, a controversial one. Yeah, um, our buddy Gareth and Groton brought our, it up. Our, bar- <laughs> our buddy Gareth and Groton brought it up. He was saying, hey, you know, play something from Nothing Shocking. And I'm sitting here incredulously, like, clutching my pearl, saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> Nothing Shocking is the album. Yes. Ritual was the secondary downgrade album. And his point, and it's a valid point, um, because let's face it, I mean, we were around in 88. I was 13. You were 15. That doesn't mean we know exactly what happened when these came out. I mean, these MTV was still playing rock videos and alternative videos at the time. I remember seeing plenty of times the video for Mountainside and certainly Jane's. Mountain Song? Mountain Song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, No, it's my... Is it Mount? Yeah, Mountain Song. You're Mountain right. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, G- Gareth's point was, you may have seen those, but you didn't see them until after Ritual came out because mm-hmm. they had Stop, which was the first single, which was a pretty decent hit for a fast rock tune, mm-hmm. and then a gigantic pop hit with Ben Caught Stealing. Yeah. And then, as we talked about during the last break, the floodgates kind of opened and people start saying, okay, what else do these guys have? Yeah. And that, that may be... What I'm remembering is seeing those two videos on MTV from Nothing Shocking that were dug up after Ritual came out. Right, and they came out in just a couple of years, or you know, a couple of years difference, right? Yeah, it was 88 and 90. Those were right. the two albums. So I, for Nothing Shocking, I think is their best album. It is. It stands down their best. So it, whatever your definition of the album is, the album, the, the best album with the most hits, or maybe the most well-known songs on it if so then it probably is nothing shocking honestly i would say nothing shocking is probably one of the best rock albums from 1988 from probably the 80s yeah i mean probably i I didn't want to stick it out there too far i mean yeah i mean (laughs) jane's addiction is one of the album the bands of that time it was their best if you could choose one album to bring on you bring with you you'd take nothing shocking so that's that's my point so i would agree with Gareth on that that um you know nothing shocking is the best album so but but ritual was the album that broke them <laughs> yeah so i yeah i don't know i uh, like yes so yes, so so yes we, because of been caught stealing right that is why so we had yes. we decided we had two options here um there were two great songs that were both on nothing shocking at least the cd it gets complicated. Uh, I've recently uh, gotten a Nothing Shocking original pressing vinyl, and Pigs and Zen's not on it. 
Really? It's not but on, it's on the, CD. the album, but it's on the CD. Uh-huh. Um, so if you're looking CDs, like we were, for the most part, back then, Pigs and Zen and Jane Says are both on Nothing Shocking and the Jane's Addiction self-titled right. album. Yep. So we're like, all right, we pick one of those two. But and it's recover. live. But they're just live, yes. It's live on the original. It is live on the original album. The whole mm-hmm. album's live. Man, they do an awesome cover of Simply, Simply for the for Devil. Devil. It's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is great. Have you ever heard they, they contributed a song to the Grateful Dead uh, uh, dedicated uh, cover CD back in the day? Mm-hmm. They did a cover of Ripple. And at really? the end, they jam out the other one. Really? Instrumentally, it's fucking awesome. Oh we got to find it and play it sometime. That's cool. I love it. It's hear that. awesome. Yeah. Um, so that, that was Pigs and Zen, Jane's Addiction, mm. burned out way too fast, but man, they were hot. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were. They Those were hot. Three three to four albums were very good. Well, two, uh, one and a half, two. Well, Nothing Shocking well, no, and Ritual right. were great. The yeah. first one was very good. Um, and they came out with another one um, that had, uh, again, some older songs, but Kettle Whistle. Yeah, that, that was, was pretty cool. It had one hit, and it had some other cool songs, and it had some other re- remakes. Yeah, they re- redid they some did, stuff. Uh, um, they did a cool Jane Says, actually, so I think they improved on it. Yeah, and they did a um, Ben Cost Stealing Live. That was really cool, was too. very cool. What he talks a in the beginning. A lot of percussion. Like, it's really good. No, but at the beginning, he's like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. how do you like stealing your friend's wife? And then someone yells, like they're all drunk. One guy yells and he's like, oh, you do, you asshole. And he <laughs> totally goes to town on him. And then they go in, and then they do. He sings the first verse in the lower key. Yeah. I mean, in the, uh, an octave lower. I remember the first time I heard it. I'm like, oh, shit, really? This is going to be what they're doing. And then and he busts out. He busts it out. Yeah. So, I, I mean, from a Jane's album perspective, yes, they didn't pre- put out new creative songs. But it's a good album to listen to if you like Jane's. Yeah, exactly. But for a band of that caliber, that creativity, they should have been able to put out more totally more quality material or just fucking not even quality, just more material. Yes, I agree. And they, they just fell apart. They they, yeah. were, they broke up after 1990. How could Dave Navarro, like, I don't understand why. I mean, he did go make an album with the Chili Peppers, but, I mean, I don't understand why he, he let himself stay stagnant. You know, like he could have been producing, he could have been in a great band when James was doing nothing. Um, he could have, I mean, Chili Peppers was probably because he needed to go do something. Right, but exactly. why didn't he like build another awesome band? I just don't get it. I don't know. He's he's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was Pigs and Zen, one of my yeah. favorite Jane's tunes, one of yours too. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, we had 311 Grassroots. Yeah. Uh, 311's a band that a lot of people that aren't our age probably don't know a lot of. Mm. Um their their big break came in 95 when we were in college they came out Mm. with um uh down well down was the big hit Mm -hmm. but uh the album was just called 311 it was just self-titled it was their third album though it wasn't their first yeah and uh they had down which was was a a pretty it broke them open Mm -hmm. and then they had all mixed up which was a Uh, giant hit like a like a, a Ben Caught Stealing level yes. pop hit. Yep. Um, and uh, the album before that was Grassroots. Mm-hmm. And that album is every bit as good, if totally. not better. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so, another one of the albums that keeps on giving. Like when I learned, yeah. when I heard 311, I'm like, I love the sound. The drummer, he uses that special snare. It's like a piccolo snare, which is like yeah, a Yeah, it's a real tight and It's got high, a snap. Right. And, he, and they, they do a great job producing it. So you, that snare hit is like prevalent in most 311 songs right. um 
and go back to the one before that same thing oh, that's that's my favorite album. music yeah. is so good i mean it's music is great it, it's a great album mm-hmm. it's very uh i don't know they they definitely matured a bit over the years yeah um you know some of the stuff they're they they were writing about and mm-hmm. the music but i mean just music itself their debut album is such a driving mm. force i love that album yeah they started off being really like ska rock right you know and they they evolved into into pop a little bit more pop but they they were getting a little more experimental like um amber mm-hmm. right the great the great guitar that starts with that and of course the drum is the same you know that same signature 311 drum well, and also, I mean, they they uh, they did a, an amazing cover of the Cure's uh, love yes. song. Oh my and god! That's a hard song, I would imagine, to yes. cover and have it not sound like a joke. And they do a great job. It's like awesome. it's pretty much as good as the Cure's yeah. original version. Yeah, we got to play that sometime. I haven't heard that in a while. It's a great cover. Yeah. And then we uh, we let off here with. Uh, with Switch 625, which yep. is a instrumental from Def Leppard's High and Dry album, which came out right before Pyromania. Now, this is another situation where, uh, you know, Pyromania put them on the map. Mm-hmm. Hysteria, the follow-up, put them way over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Pyromania, they were known to rock fans. Yep. Hysteria, they were known to pop fans. Yep. And there's a big difference. And you add an extra zero to the number of units they moved. Yeah. And that's the difference between those two. But I think we would both agree you know pyromania wasn't under the radar like they had big hits oh they had lots of them yeah um, um and if you look back to they that was actually pyromania was their third album right exactly so they start off with what on through the night on through the night yeah and then high and dry yep and uh, yeah for high and dry the obvious choice would be bringing out the heartbreak mm-hmm. that's such a great song mm-hmm. and i didn't even remember this because i haven't listened to that album in a long time but this instrumental we played actually leads into that song no uh, um, oh the other way around yeah okay yeah, yeah um, bringing on the heartbreak ends with that bass note and it goes and then it goes into switch 65 okay so you probably can't hear it on the cd you can only hear it if you have the vinyl album because it doesn't it doesn't go into it or the cassette maybe the cassette probably right that too yeah uh, but so we grew up listening to it like that do they make eight tracks back in 82 uh i don't know why we had a tra- <laughs> i had a frank zappa eight track really what one do you know uh the one that had help on a rock on it okay and uh wowie zowie yeah i think it's i think it's, it's wowie zowie's name of the album i think okay yeah yeah, yeah i just remember listening to those that's awesome <laughs> my dad had it no it's good stuff man my dad listened to dion the belmonts mm, nice <laughs> <laughs> so all right uh that was good uh but thank you gareth from groton for uh bringing in james that was a good discussion excellent you can call in next time buddy <laughs> uh and uh so yeah let's go while uh, we were talking about the cure let's play some cure
Hey, it's Astro from Harmonic Headspace, the icing on the cake that is your weekend. And I just want to take a minute to tell you all about our sponsor, the Westover Inn. This is a great inn located in the Deerfield Valley of the Green Mountain National Forest, so the surrounding area is some of the best around. They're just two miles from the base of Mount Snow. It's super convenient and centrally located from all the major attractions Southern Vermont has to offer. The inn has a gorgeous 12 updated rooms, each with a private bath. And you know how important that is. Sounds great, right? Yeah, baby. It gets even better. Uh, the inn houses the 1846 Tavern, which boasts a ridiculously delicious menu with a rotating craft beer and cocktail menu as well. So when you're planning your next trip up north, check out the Westover Inn in Dover, Vermont. You can check them out on the web at westdoverin.com. Nice job. Hey, I kicked it over to you, and you actually responded. You did, There's yeah. a question. I mean, I got somebody else in the uh, room here. Should at least... I was I was listening to because you're like, I got to do this without making a mistake. Yeah, exactly, because we, we, you did it last week and kind of tripped over one yeah. line. I tripped yeah. over I, I, the 1846. I was saying it. I was reading it. I was saying 1840, and in my head, I was flipping it to 1864. I was like, oh, damn. Mm -hmm. No, that was good. But I think I did a little <clears> better you know, with practice. You know, anything with practice is... Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I, I really... Truly want to go there. <laughs> I do too, man. I, I love me some Vermont. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Welcome back to Harmonic Headspace. Uh, we are talking about the album before the album. Yeah, and some real cool alternative rock here uh, in this little pack. We kicked off uh, with a little deeper track from The Cure's uh, fantastic 1987 double album, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Mm -hmm. um, you look at it and you look at some of the songs on here like how is this the album before the album and not the album itself i was mm -hmm. talking about it with my wife and she was like how is that not the album and i'm like well because disintegration came in out, out in 89 and clearly again this is a band where you'd say you know name a cure album and if anybody can come up with one it's probably going to be disintegration yeah um but and the, but when you listen like it was the production of it is different Disintegration production and this one. Oh is God, yeah, very different. This one was so raw. It's it's very bright, <clears throat> um, and it's it's such a long album. There's so many songs. It, it, it's a very it's a mishmash of great songs. Like the whole album is just incredible. I, I it's the first Cure album that I actually like dug deep into when I started listening to them. You know, mm -hmm. 15 years ago or so, mm -hmm. and it's just so rewarding at every turn. I can't say enough about Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Yeah, I, I also think that um, the song we played didn't really highlight Robert Smith as much as most of the songs. Do. No, it was more of the that driving bass and drum, which it's yeah. actually it sounded more like a a, a song that would be more at more at home on like pornography or even uh uh what was the album before that uh the faith mm -hmm. like a, a very much sounding like early 80s cure yeah uh they kind of moved away from that like 83 84 85 into well i don't want to say brighter stuff but you know it was a little less dreary yeah and this song kind of harkens back a little to that earlier stuff mm. I, one of the things i love about the cure is the way they play the bass and the guitar inside of each other yeah you know it's and a consistent it, sound for them too yeah yeah like um uh what's the um fascination Fa street. i was just gonna say fascination street yes so yeah from, the baseline from, from is, the album disintegration yes so the baseline on that is like the rhythm guitar and, yeah. the, and the and the rhythm guitar just plays like arpeggios that ring through it and the way they do what they do is so great and it, it's like 80s rock um, where 
other bands were using the synthesizers so loud and mm -hmm. like featuring the synth lines and stuff and they they don't do that they i mean you can hear them um underneath a little bit right but it, they don't they don't play the riff it's atmospheric yes it's exactly. sort of like how faith and war does it you know, yeah. it's an atmospheric sound because mm -hmm. the cure is really it's a bass driven like it's a yeah. it's a lead bass type of band isn't he the only guy who's been the in through the whole thing? No. No, he, uh, he was been in the second longest tenure besides and Simon Gallup, the bass player. Yeah. So, second longest tenure besides Robert Smith. He right. was in it for a while. He left. He came back. Mm. And sadly, he just left the band again within uh, the past month. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. We but I remember uh, when we saw them, when. Well, did you saw them the same tour I saw them a couple of years ago, right? Last time they came around? Or no, we saw them before? in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, they uh on that tour uh simon gallup actually missed at least i think one or two shows or something and they brought in a bass player to stand to, to play for him his son oh cool so i wonder is his son the new bass player oh uh, yeah like is he you know retiring from touring he's yeah. like he's just done whatever and you know are they going to find a full-time professional bass player or are yeah. they going to say hey Gallup's son is good. Like, if yeah. he can play a show with them, he can play a tour. Right, totally. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I love, so we'll see love how the Cure. Love the Cure. Love love how they do what they do. They're so different. And Robert Smith is one of the best vocalists of our generation. I no agree. Um, so, yeah, that was The Cure with Ice and Sugar off of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. Uh, following that was We Care A Lot by Faith No mm -hmm. More. That was uh, from their album Introduce Yourself, which came out before and uh, their big hit, uh, Epic, which was on mm -hmm. their album The Real Thing that came out, I think, in 90, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting about this is Introduce Yourself was their second album. Their first <laughs> album was actually entitled Introduce Yourself. I mean, I'm sorry. It was entitled uh, We Care A Lot. Ah. And We Care A Lot was obviously on the album We Care A Lot. And uh -huh. then they, I think they re-recorded it and put it on Introduce Yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a great song. Yeah. That's a known song. That's the only other known it's song before, before Mike Patton yes. came. It's the only song that I would know off the top of my head when I first hear the first couple notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, from the pre-Mike Patton days. But Mike Patton mm -hmm. joined and they just blew up. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, they became, you know unlikely darlings of mtv mm -hmm. um and just i love faith no more i have such a, a unique approach to what they do yeah yeah uh and then after that we heard smashing pumpkins tristessa and uh Astro and i were talking about this uh so we've we played like almost the whole album we play like half the <laughs> album now yeah. i think it's like the fourth song we played off of uh gish yeah and gish is unknown you know i mean it's known to smashing pumpkins fans Rhinoceros was the closest thing they had to a hit. Well, and, and it's it, clearly um, it was the album before the album. Yes. I mean, Siamese Dream, they broke huge. Now, yep. I may be in the minority. I would argue that the album after Siamese Dream is their best album, but mm -hmm. they were already well-established because of Siamese Dream. Yeah. Uh, and Tristessa, I mean, listen to the drums on that, man. <clears throat> so cool. Yeah, Jimmy Chamberlain's a he's a madman. Yeah, he really is nice. Uh, all right, so yeah, this this is another one where um, each of these albums before the albums was like the the gift that keeps on giving. Well, I'm sorry, no, uh, two out of the three because we care a lot. 
there weren't any really other great songs on that album, were there? Not really. I yeah. mean, there's some good stuff, but yeah. they had a different singer. You know, yeah. Chuck Mosley was their singer. Mm-hmm. He left. Patton mm-hmm. came in, and it was basically like it's a. I want to say it's a new band, but it was a new start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is so this uh, Faith No More is the first band tonight that we've played where the album before the album wasn't awesome right right exactly (laughs) everything else after that so far that we played has has been awesome and we're going to go into a few more um where two out of the three albums before the albums weren't awesome um well actually i don't know about uh david bowie you can can oh it was awesome all right it was oh yeah okay uh all right so let's go into some david bowie
Uh, that was Free Four by Pink Floyd 
off their obscure obscured by clouds album my new favorite pink pink floyd album because i didn't know much about it before last week's pink floyd deep dive which was really fun that was awesome i think it was a great show Uh, i listened to it again and um yeah that and i listened to this album and it's kind of like a new find for me you know i didn't i I spent so much time listening to dark side and even momentary lapse and and the wall and wish you were here you know i've listened to those albums so many times but i never listened to obscure by clouds well and the songs are so well formed like there are rockers that rock the shit out. Yeah, yeah. And um, they have the sound. Yeah, it, it's it's. They found their sound. Y- they found there. the sound there. They yeah. found the songs for Dark Side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm looking at the songs we just played, and I'm like, David Bowie, Peter Gabriel, Pink Floyd. I'm like, I, they pay me to do this shit. I can't believe that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, like, I, I get to sit here and pick awesome tunes by. Peter Gabriel, Pink Floyd, and David Bowie. And that's just these three. Yeah. And just talk about them? And just talk about them. Yeah. There's not even a lot to talk about with these. I mean, these are all, each of these songs are from albums that came out before absolutely gigantic albums. These weren't just albums that were the best of this specific artist. Mm. Ziggy Stardust was a giant fucking album that Mm -hmm. came out in 1972, right after Hunky Dory, which was queen bitch was off of i i would argue hunky dory is every bit as good as ziggy stardust or damn near close it's yeah. a different that's style. a bold statement it's a different style mm-hmm. album there's a lot of acoustic stuff yeah, that you don't say, really have very acoustic um but there's some rockers too queen bitch is some some rock to it mm-hmm. um but like i said that album came out before a gigantic album ziggy stardust mm-hmm. uh, a culturally significant album yes um and the next one uh, very similarly i have the touch from peter gabriel's fourth album entitled peter gabriel uh codenamed security um that album had a uh, shock the monkey on it which was yes. a pretty big hit for yeah. him but it came out it was the album before so mm-hmm. and obviously so again a gigantic hit it it, mm. it, it it was so more poppy though it completely it completely yeah. but it, it it took peter gabriel who s- seemed to purposefully be obtuse for a decade mm-hmm. that he was in the public spotlight prior to releasing so uh, actually a decade and a half i think probably going back to the early years of genesis and so came out and it was just completely like it, it was like it was made for the mtv generation yeah totally well it was a sledgehammer that video yeah and big time too awesome yes. another awesome video yes, that, yeah actually that was first right yeah i mean those yeah. those two were the, the standouts from the mtv generation obviously yeah. red rain was a big hit um in your eyes was a gigantic hit even yeah. probably bigger than the other two yeah but those are the two that you remember the videos like yeah i remember those two and i also from the from that era i remember uh, a land of confusion by genesis was yes. a great oh freaking video yeah with the mud the uh, clay people uh yeah they were they were uh yeah they had like ron and nancy and yeah. like the whole band uh, i remember seeing how funny the band looked oh they, yeah God. that was good yeah and then free four obviously like we were just talking about uh the album before maybe the biggest album of all time mm-hmm. dark side of the moon mm-hmm. so that peter gabriel song obviously Phil Collins was playing drums. Yeah, it's funny. Like he, he's his sound is so it's so noticeable. distinctive. Yeah. But, but the funny thing is, like Peter Gabriel left Genesis, and it was almost like there was no animosity. Phil Collins plays drums on like all of his solo albums yeah. in the eighties. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to yeah. to think that like he left that band and was still tight with the guy who took his place as the lead singer. Yeah, 
And they went on to meteoric success beyond anything even fathomable when Peter Gabriel was in the band. And he did the same once So came out. It was crazy. Yeah. That's cool. It's all good. They, you know, adding their services, you know. Yeah. I mean, they came came up together. Why not, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just love listening to Phil Collins over reverbed drums like you it's that like his studio is in a in a concert hall with nobody in it like when he hits the one drum it's like it, it reverberates through the, through the whole universe and uh he's just so noticeable i love it all right so now we're going to go into some 80s 90s stuff and uh so these ones uh i definitely want to talk about a little bit more but let's start with some nirvana
Okay, we had three more songs from uh, all-time classic Hall of Fame artists in their final JV albums. Yes, that was uh, U2 Bad. That That is the first um, instance where at a concert I had the opposite of a panic attack. Like my whole body felt like out of out of being i started to tear up um i wasn't sad it's just like i was so overwhelmed with emotion it was like it was a wave of bliss i've had those many times at concerts yeah so the first time that ever happened to me was during a a u2 show a long time ago and they played that and man i was like i couldn't believe that music did that to me it was awesome Cool. Yeah, no, I remember that. I uh, I had a similar. Ex- I've had a few of those experiences. Yeah, throughout my life. That's why I continue to go to concerts yeah. because that's that's like the ultimate. Yeah. And I remember one time it was the last of three times uh, Laura and I saw David Bowie live, mm. and uh, I saw that he was playing a song that was a deeper cut um, from Lodger, which mm. is a deeper album amongst his stuff, mm-hmm. and it's a song I really love, and it's a really like touching type of I just it's called uh fantastic voyage Mm. and uh he played it and it was just goosebumps and like yeah (laughs) like you like like I'm not crying you're crying yeah yeah totally (laughs) yeah yeah and uh another time that happened that all that was significant was when I saw Temple of the Dog when they played those five shows yeah uh for their 25th anniversary even more significant given what ended up happening yeah yeah, so um, I flew out to Philadelphia to see them at the Tower Theater, which is a small, very much like uh, uh, the Orpheum, but I think yeah. smaller. And um, they played Fascination Street. Yeah, you remember you telling me about that. I actually, and before you yes. told me, I saw the set list about yes. that. And Jeff Ament brought out this big, huge blue bass and started playing it. And it sounded, I mean, he was playing with a pick and it was grunge. It was like growling and i was like oh my god they're gonna do this and yeah i just my whole body turned into how did chris sing how did he sound singing it it was it was amazing he did it just like robert there's gotta be a recording i gotta find that there is yeah Yeah, there is i heard it it's good um and they also played seasons Mm -hmm. um but with drums Ah. that song does not have drums in it in its original recording on singles they played it with Matt Cameron playing drums to it. Well, who else and, would be playing? And a very tribal sounding, right. because that's what he does. You know, a lot of on, on the um, on the floor toms, and and it was really really cool. So yeah, if you can find the uh, the Philadelphia uh, version or the the Philadelphia show of Temple of Dog. Oh, so good nice well mm-hmm. hopefully it gets a, f- a formal release someday so we get some nice clean audio yes that'd be cool all right so uh youtube bad uh and we just discussed offline we will do a youtube deep dive at some point uh we're both confident enough that we know enough about youtube yeah and i think we, off. We, we can bring in some outside help yeah some some color commentary assistance yeah hopefully b ren will be interested because i know she's uh big fan and she's seen them in small clubs back in the 80s so that would be cool to hear about that nice 
Before that, we heard Radiohead Planet Telex. So we did a deep dive on Radiohead. Did not play Planet Telex, much to my chagrin. Yes, yeah. And I remember talking during that show <laughs> going, how did we not play Planet Telex? It was on my list. And yes. it, just, it got squeezed out. I mean, the Benz is just too damn good. Yeah, yeah. So we were like, let's figure out a way to play that in an upcoming show. And there it is. There you go. Planet Telex, just for you. Nice. Yeah, and, and you know, similarly, the Benz... Is it? And we obviously we talked about this extensively during the Radiohead show. I don't want to go too deep into it, but it wasn't a uh, oh, here's a you know a cruddy album, and then suddenly boom, here's OK Computer, which is you know clearly an all time classic. The Benz was awesome. Like it mm-hmm. was a 180 degree turn from Pablo Honey, which yep. I find grating. I'm sorry, I'm a, a mm-hmm. huge Radiohead fan. I cannot stand that album. Yeah. So we were also talking about how. Why is not Kid A the album before the album if OK Computer is the album? Because OK Computer is the one that is known on like Billboard charts and Rolling Stone charges, like one of the best albums of all time. It's always OK Computer. Yeah, it is. But for me, it's not. It's Kid A. Well, it's, it is it is OK Computer. I, in, in my opinion, I like OK Computer better because mm. Kid A, it... it, it wasn't as groundbreaking only because OK Computer existed already. If Kid A came out before OK Computer, I think there'd be a different conversation. But by definition, it has to be somewhat derivative because they were taking some of the ideas that they introduced during OK Computer and pushed and explored them in different directions, which is why it's such a fantastic album because they did it so well. Mm, yeah. No, but what I'm saying is I just like Kid A better. And that's perfectly <clears throat> fine. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all good. So, good. Uh, glad we got Planet Telex in, and uh, there'll definitely be more Radiohead on this show in the future. Uh, and we start off with Nirvana, School. School, my favorite song off of Bleach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bleach is, you know, when we're looking at the other two albums here, you know, Bleach is probably the weakest of the three that we're looking at. Um you know, I think I would say the Benz is probably strongest, and Unforgettable Fire is probably right in between the two of them. But that's just my opinion. Um, what, 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 what's your take on it? Oh, I mean, for uh, in terms of how the albums themselves stack oh, up in, in this particular, yeah, yeah. just these three. Um, no, I agree. I mean, Planet. I mean, um, Kid. A, I mean, I don't know. They're all. All the album before the album is kind of hard to to rate them. Well, that's why I, but, I threw I threw a curveball out there. Yeah. I figured I'd try to challenge you at the end of the end of the show here. Yeah, so I, I agree. Um, and so let's talk about that in the Nirvana perspective. Right? Exactly. Right. So um, when Nevermind came out, obviously we looked back to see if there was anything that Nirvana had done before because we were so eager to get more. Now, right? Mm-hmm. We found Bleach. And um, when I first heard Bleach, I was like, oh, I was pretty good. I was underwhelmed. I, I, I vividly it, remember the first time yeah, I heard it. I threw it back in, in the closet and continued listening to Nevermind on repeat for about 10 years, right? Uh, or until uh, um, In Utero came out. So I grew to love Bleach, though, because I would pull it out every you know couple months, maybe a year, and I just got to know all the songs. And I yeah. was like, you know what? This is actually freaking awesome. The songs are rougher around the edges as a whole. Totally. The drum sound is a lot different. Obviously, it's not Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. There's no backup vocals. Right. There's which no is backup. Which is huge in Nevermind. Right. 
Um, but no, I mean, overall, I mean, it's a good album. It's it, definitely better than some of the albums that we played songs off of earlier in the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. But it's not one of the strongest of, mm-hmm. of the ones that we're, you know, yeah. dipping into. You know what's great about it is it's Kurt Cobain. It's what Kurt Cobain was feeling. It's what he came out with at the time. He wasn't influenced by other members of the band like Dave Grohl or whatever. Right. Um, and he just did his thing really loud and really angry. And, you know, his angst showed in that, you know, it was, I think, um, muffled a little bit in Nevermind. I mean, obviously, Tartar Pissings and <laughs> some of the other things where, uh, you know, the, the angst was there, but it was more refined. And then I think uh, what happened in In Utero is, I mean, you, you you can even hear like extra feedback and like pulling out the cord of the guitar. It got like, weaponized in In Utero. He, yeah, he was like, fuck this. Right. I need to get back to my ugly self. And, right. and he like threw in, t- actu- you know, the feedback in that, the rough sound that he couldn't get in Nevermind. So it was kind of cool to see the the evolution and the, just the, the journey of the sounds coming out of these albums. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, it almost like, you know, those three album arc, it's like the evolution and then the de-evolution. Yeah, well, I mean, um, uh, what's the one uh, that was the punk uh, where they did poly and aneurysm and... Um, oh, Incesticide. Incesticide. Yeah, so that was a good album. I love that album. I love yeah. Sliver. I mean, it's, it's a B-side collection, so it's, yes. a little, it's a different thing. But, I mean, mm-hmm. when the band only has three studio albums... The B-side collection is valid. Yeah. And it's good. There's I good songs on there. Yeah, Sliver is one of my favorites, right. you know, all time. Uh, and then after that was the the MTV, which was and They had the Banks of the Naughty Whisker, which was eh. Uh, I mean, it, that's it. I mean, we'll, we'll never do a deep dive on Nirvana because there's no. sound up material. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's good to, good to get some uh, bleach in there. So, all right, Nirvana, Radiohead, U2, and... We got one last block here of some pretty serious stuff. Let's do it. Absolutely.
robbing me, but all I got is corporate. Right, that one goes out to my lovely wife Laura. Mountain Dew Rock, fucking with my head from Beck's genius Mellow Gold, the album before the album, which is Odelay. Yes, and that's another one where the drums are so uh, noticeable. Like when you hear Three Eleven, like it, you 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 know that's Three Eleven. I knew that was Beck's drum set. <laughs> no, he's got that same uh, the snare that. It's it's got uh, I I don't know how to it, it had, that song is it's it's the perfect uh, example of mellow gold yeah that besides loser obviously but we're mm-hmm. not going to play loser this is that's not what we do at this right. show mm-hmm. um, but you could argue again that Odelay was clearly at the time and now retrospectively Beck's masterwork yeah. Uh, regardless of how many Grammys he won for the ballad shit that he did. Yep. Fine, whatever. But we all knew who Beck was when Odalay came out yes. because of how big of a hit loser was. Yep. Um, so I would still argue that Odalay is, is, is the album because it had like three or four big hits. Mm-hmm. None of them, except maybe where it's at, was as big as Loser, but Loser, everybody thought this was, this was a one-hit wonder, mm-hmm. just slacker, whatever. That's right. And all these years later, man, it's crazy that, yeah. that, that he's had the influence and the material that he's had. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't wait to see him. <laughs> I can't wait to see him again. Yeah. He's so good, man. Yeah, he's good. Um, so that was back with Mountain Dew Rock off of Odal, uh, not Odal, <laughs> off of uh, Mellow, Mellow Gold. Gold. Um, interesting, like the three songs are from very disparate time eras here. Uh, you know, Down mm-hmm. on Me was uh, Janis Joplin with Big Brother and the Holden Company. That was a live version. It was from uh, her, the studio version from her second album with them uh, called Cheap Thrills, which was a huge hit it was their big album it has like four or five big hits mm-hmm. um and down on me was one of them and that came uh, you know the album before it was their self-titled debut big brother and the holding company and uh you know i'm sorry down on me it was on that album right um yeah sorry not on cheap thrills 
Um, so, you know, played that. And a shout out to my Uncle Joe, my Auntie T. Saw, uh, saw them for the first time in a while yesterday in Connecticut. Told them about the show. And uh, they're listening. Texted in requesting some Janice. So nice. uh, That's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Thank you. And then uh, in between there, we had a safe European home from one of my favorite bands. Uh, the only band that really matters, The Clash. <laughs> and uh, another band where clearly um, London Calling is the album. Yep. Um, I would argue it's potentially the album for like ever, but that's just me. I, I what do you mean for all artists. Yeah, ever? I'm biased. I had my I had my Greatest London Calling album of all time. I had my Reno Universe. I had my London Calling shirt on uh, yesterday as well. Um, it's wow. just so so good. It is a good one. Um, but uh, prior to that was Give Him Enough Rope in the late '70s. So you know, with late '60s we had Janice and Big Brother and Holding Company. Late '70s we had The Clash with Safe European Home from uh, Give Him Enough Rope, and then we had back in the early '90s. I would argue three of the most important eras in rock late 60s late 70s early 90s okay well there aren't many other eras <laughs> well i mean there's the mid 70s there's early 70s there's the med 60s there's the 40s there's there's no rock there's in the, the 40s 20, 2010s well we have a little bonus for you folks here and thank you for uh sticking around with us for a 10 15 minutes longer uh, our standard outro music Wait, uh, be wait, before the outro, we have to say sorry. We have our sorries. Sorry, Soundgarden. Sorry, Soundgarden. We play too much Soundgarden. It's a good story. We play a lot of Soundgarden. It's a good story. Yeah. They have, uh, you know, an album that put them on the map, but wasn't necessarily what I would consider the album. I know, Prosty, you disagree. You think Bad Motor Finger was the album. Um, no, no, no. I think uh, I think Super Unknown was the album. Okay. Yeah, because it was more commercially successful. Yeah. But what I think is Bad Motorfinger had um, outshined on it, which was the song that put them on the map. Yes, and, and so people and were got, looking for their next album. Yeah, and it's got Rusty Cage and Jesus Christ pose on it, mm -hmm. which are those three songs are could be the th three greatest Soundgarden songs ever. Yeah. Right? I mean, in my in my book. Right, so Bad Motorfinger is my favorite album uh, from them, but Super Unknown um, is a very, very close second, and it just was more commercially successful. Right. So I think that Super Unknown is the album. Bad Motorfinger is the album before the album. Mm -hmm. Before that, uh, louder yeah, than love yeah, was before. It was louder that. than love. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know what to choose. Well, in one of the most awkward moments of our show history, we're finding ourselves apologizing to Soundgarden for not playing one of their songs tonight. <laughs> we play them literally sixty percent of our shows. <laughs> right. play Soundgarden, yeah, we do, or some version of Chris Cornell. Yeah, exactly. So we yeah. are apologizing to Soundgarden for not playing them tonight. Those rich, conceited bastards that get yeah. played every week here. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, Devo and. Another oh. band that we play a lot of. Oh, I had a good one lined up too, man. Yeah. Swelling, itching brain. Tell me that one's not sounding pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, Devo. They they had clearly they they jumped out and into the into the ether and the the known universe and MTV with uh, Freedom of Choice in 1980. So Is that and, uh, yes, okay. and that that was our third album. So their second one we were going to pull from here tonight, but. Sorry, Devo. They know, though. They know that that's the band that I always try to pull a song. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try to fit whatever we're talking about in terms mm -hmm. of a topic and get a Devo song in there because I will always, for the rest of my life, be a proponent 
uh, for Devo. Yeah, I don't think they get enough credit. Uh, when I first started the show, I was like, yeah, they're one-hit wonders, and they all sound the same, and it's and it's just boring kid music. But uh, I've learned a lot since then. I keep forcing them down your throat. You do, yeah. I keep I I pick ones that I think you would say, yeah, that's pretty cool. What's the one that we played that was a song into song? It's actually it was actually from the album that we just didn't play something off of. It's uh uh Mr. Uh, Mr. What is it? Uh, uh yeah, it's definitely Mr. Something. Mr. DNA. I know that, but it's uh, that was, what's the yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ! Sorry, guys. I'm trying. I'm trying to pump you up, and I can't remember the name of your song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Kamikaze, Mr. DNA. Yeah, Mr. Uh, DNA or something. I don't know, but that's a great song. Yeah, that's a very cool song. All right, so uh, sorry, Zeppelin. Sorry, Led Zeppelin. But who like? I, I I disagree with everybody because I don't think there is an album before the album because I think one just exploded, and I, I think that they. I mean, yeah, I mean, four was their best album. But I think they exploded with one. Four is their known album. That's yeah. the one. Like, it's like you yeah. go to like, hey, you know, what's your favorite or, or what's a Led Zeppelin album? You know, like Led Zeppelin four. Yeah, there's only four songs on that, and it's got Stairway to Heaven, and you know, that's the, you know, Battle of Evermore is not even that great of a song. Everything else is pretty awesome though. It is, yeah. I mean, well, Four Sticks. That's not. Four six is pretty good. It is. I, I mean, uh, what's the other two? Going to California and uh, oh, there's Black Dog, Rock and Roll, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, going right, to right, California. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. When the Levee Breaks. That's a great album. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's eight songs. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, Why did I think it was less? Uh, well, anyways, I still think one is is the album uh, because I think that's what put them on the map and they just continue to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we don't need to apologize to Led Zeppelin. We played plenty no. of Led Zeppelin. Right. Um, but so tell us why talking heads is cool. So talking heads, uh, in retrospect, I think it's known that their most critically successful best album is remaining light from 1980. Um, what's on that. And on that is a bunch of songs you'd never heard of. And, um once in a lifetime which is a song you did here no what's what the album oh the album oh well that's the thing that's not really at the time that wasn't really the album they had one hit off of it once in a lifetime which we is our outro music every week and it'll be our outro music again tonight because that's the album before the album which was their big hit um after remain in light it was a fourth album in a row they did with brian eno and then they stopped collaborating with him and they really speaking in tongues. Speaking That's in tongues album. is the album I right. think that broke them. It yeah. had burned down the house and it was the album they were touring on when they did Stop Making Sense, which was I think their biggest, you know, commercial breakthrough. Got it. So a little cheating there, squeezing in a little extra juice out of our outro song for this week. Nice. All right, so uh, we will see you next week. Actually, we have major moment coming in next week. We do. We have a big show coming up here. Yeah. We have guests in the studio. Yeah, so we haven't had a, a, a band in here since, um, well, Parts Per Million, but they weren't our last, were they? Uh, they might have been. Wow. Okay. It's been a while. Well, yeah, so uh, major moment I'm really excited about. Here in them, they are a uh, local rock. Um, 
it's hard to it's hard to explain their sound they um they kind of don't fall into a trap of trying to define a band right before they come into the studio yeah so <laughs> major moment look them up they're a great i mean they're, they're on spotify right yep they're on spotify look they're, them up they're definitely based in rock but um the the production of their vocals is just so good um so yeah give them a give them a check out and then uh join us next week same time same place uh and have a great week good night and you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack and you may find yourself in another part of the world and you may find yourself behind the wheel of a And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by. Let the water hold me down. Letting the days go by. Water flowing under the into the blue again. After the money's gone. Once in a lifetime. Water flowing under the And you may ask Same as it ever.